welcome back to the Burning Eye podcast. I'm your host, Bridget Hart, editor at Burning Eye Books. For those of you that have been listening along with the episodes we've done since 2020, you'll know that each episode is dedicated to chatting to a poet as their book comes out with us. This year, we have had the privilege of being able to talk to so many great poets who have all been incredibly inventive and resilient with the way in which they have chosen to promote their books without having the option of live in-person events. The pandemic has been a very tough time for a lot of us. Burning Eye did not come out unscathed. We are currently crowdfunding to help us keep the running costs for the next couple of months. If you've got any spare change or you would like to buy a book for someone you know, you can head over to the Burning Eye web store where there is an option for you to donate to our crowdfunder and browse a very, very large and varied selection of poetry books from the last decade. Thank you so much for everyone that has donated so far. It has been really overwhelming and lovely to see so many familiar faces messaging and getting in contact with us. We are really grateful for the community. So thank you very much. Today's episode, we're going to be chatting to the very excellent Rachel Rose Reed, who I have personally admired throughout my own journey as a spoken word performer. Rachel's new book, I'm Hans Christian Anderson, is out on the 2nd of December, and you can grab a copy from the Burning Eye web store. On the radio, they said Hans Christian Anderson wrote The Little Mermaid whilst he was avoiding the wedding of the person he loved. I thought, that doesn't sound like a story involving singing lobsters. So I picked up a book from my shelf, I sat down at the table and I began to read. And as I read the stories, I remembered when I first heard them. You know how it is. You open one memory and a thousand more pour out. I'm Hans Christian Andersen strips the sugar coat from the famous teller of fairy tales while grappling with our own love affairs of happily ever after. Rachel Rose Reed, queen of the new wave of storytellers, according to Ian McMillan at the BBC Radio, blends traditional storytelling with contemporary spoken word. Since writing I'm Hans Christian Andersen, she has toured her work internationally, from the New Yorican Poetry Café to Soho Theatre, and created commissions for a characteristically eclectic range of partners, including Billy Bragg, London City Symphonia, Dickens Bicentenary as writer-in-residence, BBC Radio 3, and Old Vic New Voices. Selena Godden says, Rachel is an entrancing and extraordinary storyteller and artist. I'm Hans Christian Andersen is mesmerising, nourishing and good for your heart and soul. As always, kick back and enjoy the episode. Hello, 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 Rachel Rose Reed. Hello. Hello. It's so lovely to hear your voice. I got a hello for each of my names. I know, I know. I <laughs> felt like it was, you know, you've got a, such a rhythmic name. It just kind of happened. Welcome to the Burning Eye podcast. Thank you. It's really nice to have you on. We are sort of winding down for the year. This um, this might be our last episode of 2021. Um, we are here today with Rachel Rosary to talk about I'm Hanged Christian Anderson, their new book that's out on the 2nd of December, which is tomorrow. Very exciting. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. This <laughs> book might be our longest book that we've ever worked on. <laughs> No way. Maybe. Well, I don't know. I mean, because we started, you know, working on this book in 2014. 
Oh, I thought you meant by number of pages. Oh, no, not by number of pages. No, I think our biggest book is like 200 pages or something. Well, that's quite a hefty one. But this yeah. one, this one's a good length. 76 pages, I think this one is. Yes. Yes. Like, well, I, I like, like to uh, keep the suspense going. I would like to say we've not been working on it day after day. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> six yeah. or seven years yeah that's it's been that long no 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 it's a but, holiday yeah so you um i'm hans christian anton was originally a show that you had um that you originally did in 2010 oh my goodness me <laughs> yeah so that's yeah nearly, yeah quite a while ago now well ago uh and then in 2014 we kind of started to pick up burning eye um and then last year you came back to us and we were like, yes, let's going to do it. And we've and we've worked on the last year. Yeah, the Pretty pandemic was quite useful for getting a spoken word artist to sit down with a computer or a piece of paper and finish something written. Yeah, I would definitely have to agree with that. But being on this side of the of the desk, as it was, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's such a nice book to have as part of the twenty twenty one cohort. We've had so many different um, stories and voices and poetry books with short stories in them and uh, this book which is not a poetry book mm -hmm. um, but is very poetic in the way that it, it is read. Um, so Rachel tell us a little bit about how this project started and, and what motivated you to put it into text. As a spoken word artist in short form or long form I think that I really love blowing dust off things that have become a bit fusty or maybe their reputation I feel needs reclaiming somehow so uh, I've written poems and pieces about Charles Dickens or about Woody Guthrie um, or uh, my most recent work has been looking at a medieval uh, epic lost medieval epic called Roman de Silence which uh, was lost for hundreds of years and has a great queer central character and and so that's always that's always been my love and with anderson as well i heard a piece of radio in which it was being explained that his famous story the little mermaid was written whilst he was on an island avoiding the wedding of the person that he loved and i thought well that sounds not like the disney version to me and Sure enough, if you read Anderson's original Little Mermaid, the ending does not have a happily ever after in it. And I thought, how strange, because even I as a storyteller, let alone lots of other people I know, only really know Anderson through the lens of Disney and being lumped together with all sorts of sweet fairy tales. But the more we go into his work, the, and the more I went into his work, the more I understood why he begged translators of his work, because he was writing in Danish, to know that most of his stories were actually not for children. And, and I wanted to dig under the origins of his tales because it seems that a lot of his stories are trying to grapple with his identity, with difficulties in society, either through love or just social positioning. And at the same time, many of us are sold on the idea of happily ever afters in real life and looking for love of one kind or another and maybe some kind of personal completion through love or encouraged to do so and it just seemed completely juicy and full of uh, stuff worth exploring whether in myself or in anderson's life so that's how it began and uh, as a storytelling piece it was it's really exciting connecting with an audience live but i think especially because he is a teller of tales uh, for the page i think that that we both 
uh, work well in written form as well. Yeah, you can definitely see that I've read this book uh, quite a few times now over the course of the last year. And I'm all I'm immediately all always very sucked into the story and I've had and have loved the kind of edits of as it's gone along and the book's got a bit bigger and, and more more um, aspects and elements have been kind of added to it. How much has it changed since the 2014 um, draft that you you came to us with? There's a lot of finesse for writing that's meant to be written because when I'm doing long form spoken word, when I'm doing storytelling, there's so much that you can imply just by a look of the eye or a turn of the hand. So with placing it in a book, it, it was just a kind of uh, attention to detail that I needed to give to make sure that we were conveying the same things on the page. But I think the essential core of it has not changed. However, the meaning over time has changed because it's part memoir, not entirely, a little bit twisty, like Anderson's own tales. But of course, my relationship with those memories is, is a little bit more distant. And uh, I think that's something wonderful, both in modern and traditional storytelling, that when you come back to a story, the thing that makes it change meaning is how you, how you have changed over time uh, and so i see different things in it now that i might not have seen when i first wrote it yeah and i think that um idea of coming back to something in the years gone by with a different sort of lens a different you know set of experiences on your shoulders is um really great for, for storytelling and and for this in particular as well because you have so much of the historical elements in this. There's, there's so many narratives running into, running over each other throughout the whole thing. How does that, in terms of you transforming that onto the stage, do you, I don't know, do you use voices to <laughs> convey the different aspects of it? Or is it more of a physical thing? So with the kind of storytelling I do, I don't sort of put on hats and become characters or parts. You sort of hint towards them with body language rather than than performing these different characters i th i think something that that's something that makes storytelling powerful in its own right so if i go if i was to go and see a play of a hans christian anderson story then maybe they would wear costumes and it would be presented to me this particular person's interpretation of anderson's stories but with storytelling there's so much that's left to the audience's imagination uh, and in that way, I think it's quite similar to reading certain novels and books, because uh, I might not tell you all the details of why a person is beautiful. Therefore, when I tell you in the story that someone's beautiful, you will see a completely different person in your mind to the person next to you who's seeing whoever they think is beautiful. And what happens with that kind of play with the audience's imagination is that we we can actually sometimes go even deeper than if I was playing playing roles, um, wearing costume, having a realistic set, because you're bringing so much of your imaginative and uh, real life into the story that often you will create an even more evocative world than I could possibly do if I tried to faithfully represent everything in the tale. And you have that in the um the sort of blurb bit on the back of the book as well you talk about um it unlocking your own memories whilst um reading these stories 
And I think the same right, can we, be said. Right, exactly. We we bring ourselves. We we bring so much of ourselves to the stories that we that we hear. Absolutely. And I think that makes it easier for us as readers and as listeners to insert ourselves and our own experiences in between um, these pages as well, and the sort of scenes that it slips between. I really. I'm interested in the idea of um, Anderson as um, someone who is uh, queer, potentially asexual, the idea of, of what true love is, um, mm -hmm. whether that is romantic love or platonic love or fantastical Disney romance love, which I definitely believed in for a lot of years of my life, that kind of love. Mm. Um, and I think it really um, uh, set a tone about how I went into sort of relationships and the thing I love about Anderson is the way there's so much longing in right. in his work and that is um such a uh, quality that I look for that I find so genuine about someone is that it's not necessarily about the person that you're for, that you're that you love but the longing behind that love right there's there's longing and then I, I love that he kind of oscillates in some of his stories between a longing and this sort of bittersweet air and then other stories he completely undercuts with a utter cynicism uh about the world i mean lots of people know uh, the emperor's new clothes but there's there's another story called the, the most fantastic thing in which a king this is not in the in the book that i have i love this story because it's just so it's so sharp and a, a king promises that whoever does the most fantastic thing can marry his daughter so all of these people come and they show all these delicate creations and then someone comes in and destroys all the delicate creations, just smashes them up and they decide that yes that is the most shocking the most fantastic not in a positive way but a, a unbelievable way wow we couldn't believe this person would destroy all the things oh well well we guess that he did the most uh, unbelievable inconceivable fantastic things so i guess that he gets to marry the princess now which is just um I don't know. It's not. It's not where. Uh, it's not where our stereotypical idea of fairy tales uh, expects us to go. And I like the way that you interject yourself into the book and you talk about, you know, your the, the, the first love. But no, but no, this one's really the first love. And and no, my really, really, really first love. And that kind of trying again with each person and that having that same kind of, oh, this is. Oh, it's not perfect. Right. Um, yeah, I really like that as in terms of like mirroring that with the, the story throughout and then also the letters that you have there with Anderson to Edward as well. Right, which are real letters that he wrote. Um, and it was actually a practice, it was considered a practice of uh, men in those times to write quite passionate letters to each other. But Anderson is quite open in some of his diaries about the level of affection that he felt for Edvard but just especially as a younger man he didn't know where to put those feelings it's only as an older person that he started to write about his amorous connections with young men in more overt language and without shame I love it I love the multifacet of the book and I love the your stories along with this sort of queer there's so much queerness in the book that's what i'm trying to say yeah there's a lot of queerness in the book and it's quite funny that i don't i actually but, but this is probably to do with my early 20s i don't actually surface a lot of my own queerness it's pretty straight appearing in the book and that's kind of that i guess that's an interesting shift over time about what 
what one is willing to share personally, actually in the same way that Anderson didn't share lots of his stuff and disguised lots of his feelings as being about dolls and uh, trinkets and pieces of clothing and, you know, and chose, well, probably because of his time as well, but, you know, chose what he felt able to share and not share personally. Uh, but I actually, I quite enjoy also having a diverse audience, including um, straight audiences, see themselves within queer characters that I'm exploring because it's in Roman de Silence, which I have been working on most recently, in the medieval, this medieval Arthurian legend, the protagonist continuously switches pronouns between she and he. And that's the kind of thing that f folks who are prejudiced about that sort of situation, that, that use of um, pronouns or non-binary pronouns can say, oh, I don't get how it works, I don't understand. But within the, my telling of the story, I faithfully switch the pronouns and everyone says, oh, not only were they able to follow the story, uh, but also they often found it possible to associate with the character, no matter the gender of the listener, because this character keeps switching their pronouns. Uh, and so there's that, sometimes there's something where if someone, a character has your pronouns, then you sort of feel more of an affinity with them because you're like, oh, I could be that person. So because that character keeps switching, so we keep we keep seeing ourselves within them. And I, I think I really like that with Anderson too, that when I performed Anderson, I think there were several times at Edinburgh that I had audiences of people who came because they liked Disney films or they liked the there's an old Disney film about Hans Christian Andersen that's very jolly and uh and old-fashioned and I don't think that all those the the more um traditional fairy tale loving audiences I don't think all of them knew much about Andersen's sexuality or identity and I love letting this just be part of the story not something that we flag particularly it's like oh this is the person this is the person that he loved when he was writing this story. Oh, I too might be in such a situation as well. I can imagine being Anderson and being in love with this man. Yeah, it's yeah. very humanizing having that set out in that way and not yeah, not having that over attention onto oh my god, he's queer. Um, yeah, exactly. Just you know, let, let just, just let it happen. I think that's uh, really... Um, Hopefully that's more yeah. normal these days, but I guess we understand in some areas it's not, it's, it's, it's still um, not treated as normal. Absolutely. But I think you're right in terms of reaching people through that tenderness and that normality of feeling. You know, mm -hmm. we, like you say, and like the book kind of says as well, you know, we all know what it's like to feel love or we will know what it's like to kind of fall in love or we have a, an idea of, of what it's like to fall in love and you know I know a lot of people um, who have read my uh, collection which is a query telling of Greece but taking heteronormative characters and giving them a different kind of possibility doesn't take anything away from them um, people actually find that uh, dimension of them being included in their positive um, and normal and think representation is really important even if it's not you know the main part of, of what you're doing and then this you know almost anarchic little mermaid story um mm. which completely throws that disney heteronormativity on its head you know like you say it kind of just tears it all up um and we're left thinking uh, i guess love is what we make it rather than what is manufactured for us.
Yeah, I, I love stories that leave an, some open space at the end. I know some people probably find them a bit frustrating and say, oh, come on, aren't you going to finish it recently? I'm trying to remember what film I saw recently where it suggested there was going to be some kind of happy ending, but they didn't show it to you. They were like, okay, the film finishes now. And, and all of me knew that was a smart, artistic place to end the film and still a bit of me wanted to say but i want to see the next bit but anyway even though i found that frustrating i i prefer leaving stories that way too yeah no i yeah and so i really know that feeling um which is probably why i write a lot of fan fiction oh <laughs> that, right so you can fill in the spaces yeah so you can like you know um you could decide what happens next or like you say everyone has a personal experience with that story so everyone's going away with a slightly different ending in mind um, and then the story belongs to them, essentially, after that, you know, yeah. the endings in, in their hands or in, or in their minds. And that's beautiful. So, Rachel, it's been uh, quite um, a year to, to do a book in. Um, right. <laughs> quite, you know, and there's, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of sorrow, but also I, I, this has forced a lot of concentration. So Burning Eye, Burning Eye is a is a beneficiary of and thanks for waiting so long for me to finish my my proofs no absolutely i mean we are always very supportive of people that come to us and we totally understand that sometimes you need to take the longer road with it you know that happens um we, we've seen that many times over the years and i think when i was starting out doing poetry um it was you and holly mcnish that were the people that i was looking to as like, that's where I want to be, that's what I want to be doing. Um, so for me, on a personal level, it's a real sort of privilege to be having this conversation with you now and be on the cusp of um, Hans Christian Andersen coming out. Thank you. Well, I think, especially because there's probably quite a few artists that, that listen to Burning Eye um, podcast, m mental health is quite an important thing to, to, to touch on because I think anxiety... Uh, I, Hans Christian Andersen was very successful at edinburgh and actually coping with the coping with people coming and seeing the work and then wanting me to do more work is something that i feel that at the time i didn't have a big i didn't have a way of dealing with that and i think maybe that's the case for quite a few spoken word artists because say if you're in a theater company the theater company might deal with that say but when we're actors or anyone when we're individual artists there's anxieties that can arise and learning how to create learning how to create maintain sustain a, a network that can help us keep healthy and keep level is is quite important and i had to learn that quite slowly over time so that's something that's delayed my ability to publish as well uh, but people but folks like burning eye you you've maintained a a faith in my abilities and a patience with my mental health which i really appreciate and it could be it could have been quite easy for me to say oh i you know i i can't i can't go back to them they asked for that ages ago they're not going to be interested now because that's part of that so actually returning was worthwhile and being received with such uh kindness was also very uh helpful for me yeah i think that's one of the very good um aspects of, of running an independent press is that we get to run it how we want to and sort of um, work with poets in the way that we want to. As someone myself who, who has um, questionable mental health at a lot of times, 
um, I understand, you know, that interruption with the artistic work, I find it really hard to, to focus on it and, and give myself the space to do it. So I think I take that, have that sympathy and empathy with the poets that we work with who do need the extra time because it's art and it's, and it's personal and sometimes you can't force it because if you force it, then you're, then you might end up thinking, well, I could have done that better, but at a different point. Like you have, like you have. So Rachel, we've reached that time of the episode where I would like to ask you if you would like to read us a little extract from the book. Yeah, I'm gonna read, read you the opening. Oh, great, yeah, I love the opening. Because <laughs> then I won't give anything away. <laughs> Good shot. <laughs> there is a place. Far out on the ocean, the waves are as blue as the loveliest cornflowers and as clear as glass. And you mustn't think there's no one down there, no. There in the depths is where the mermaids live. And the little mermaid falls in love with the handsome prince. But he lives up there in the castle and she is down here in the depths of the ocean. So she goes to the ugly witch of the sea to exchange her beautiful voice for the chance to have feet and legs and to be with him. If in three days' time you can acquire eternal love with him, the witch says, then you shall live happily ever after. But if you fail, you will be turned into foam on the ocean waves. But it's okay, because Sebastian the lobster sings a happy song, and Flounder the little fish whistles a merry tune, and good winds over evil, and the witch is destroyed, and the mermaid gets her man, and her feet, and her legs, and the pair sail off her. The mermaid and the prince, not the legs. Well, obviously the legs, but anyway. The pair sail off into eternal love and happily ever after. That's the Disney version. Anyone know the original ending? Anyone? Oh well. We've got plenty of time for endings later. We've only just begun. Let's start again, shall we? Hans Christian Andersen. We all know him. Jolly journeyman shoemaker singing inchworm to the rosy-cheeked children while the schoolmaster runs down the lane shouting, bring back them kids. Yes? No? That's the Disney version too. Let's start again, shall we? Let's begin. When we get to the end, we'll know more than we know now. Here we are, ready for our journey. The open book, the fresh white page, the life as yet unwritten. We begin. Where should a fairy tale begin? We begin in a castle surrounded by fresh water which laps cold at the thick stone walls and ripples back reflecting the yellow light of an early spring dawn. All is hushed, doors are shut, curtains drawn, gates are locked. The lady of the castle ushers a servant into a brocaded bedchamber and says, put the hot water and towels down here. On the soft duck-down coverlet, breathing heavily, lies a beautiful young princess. Who else? The sun has pulled its chariot almost fully through the sky and is turning for the forest on the distant hill by the time she has given birth. A baby boy with pale white skin and pea-green eyes. She holds him to her breast, passes him up to the waiting arms of the lady and turns away. Countess Severin lifts the white clean child into her arms. This is the first-born grandson of Frederick IV, 
the firstborn son of this woman lying here, and Christian the eighth heir to the throne of Denmark, and they are not married. So this is a tale that cannot be told, the first page ripped out and a fresh story begun before even a chapter is written. With a vow of secrecy on her lips, Countess Severin's maidservant steps out over the bridge, water shuckling beneath her in the silver moonlight. Anne-Marie Anderson carries that bundle all the way home, shushing and cooing, tempering his wails with lullabies, from the sweet scent of forest flowers to new smells. Fish rotting in the gutters, the river clogged with dirt, ducks and chickens scatter in her wake as she crushes eggshells beneath her feet in her hurry to get home. As the red rim of dawn lines the horizon, she steps over the threshold of her own home in the slums. She places the baby down in the palm of the bed. Now the sun spins back up through the trees, startling the birds into song. It is April the 2nd, 1805. Anne-Marie names her new child, Hans Christian Anderson. Is it true? What can I tell you? The only things we have left of Anderson or anyone are the stories written and the stories told. And why these stories? Why am I here with the stories he told? <laughs> They'll clap. Now. <laughs> the beyond the clap, the coveted clap, clap of online, um, the coveted clap of online. Don't say that <laughs> again, would you? Uh, <laughs> uh, that was amazing. And if you're listening to that and you would like to hear more, I believe, um, I believe, I know that Rachel is launching I'm Hans Christian Anderson this Sunday, the 5th of December online so you can all come Rachel yes. tell us a little bit more about the launch so for those listening to the podcast before the 6th of December <laughs> you can come on the 5th of December to the launch I've got guest poets and storytellers and musicians because I wanted to have a party with other people uh, so they'll be sharing songs stories poems that they find reflected in the themes of this book and I'll also be sharing some of this book as well and uh, all of the tickets uh, include a book but I do also have some low income tickets that are cheaper cheaper than a book so you can just come along and enjoy the stories and so if you go over to www.rachelroserie.com you can get tickets for the launch there up to a couple of hours before the performance which is at 7.30 GMT on Sunday the 5th of December. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Yes. Thank you and, very much. And so great as well to um, do keep doing online launches because I know that a lot of our listeners um, are still shielding or at home in some way. So if you're well, free, the, definitely come along. During the uh, lockdown, I was running something called Sofa Story Club and we tried really hard to make a a communal, intimate atmosphere out of spoken word gigs online. So I hope that we can recreate that on Sunday one more time. Yeah, least. sounds great. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's been a really nice little finish up, round up. Um, and I wish you all the best of luck with the, with the future of the book. Thank you.